Maramata Genton had nearly 20 years in the Public Defender's Office as an appellate attorney before she decided to trade in her legal robes for a keyboard and launched herself in a second career as a writer of legal thrillers and women's fiction. Welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Raina talks about her latest book, Both Are True, presenting the inside story of a woman at the height of her career as a family court judge who's faced with temptation when career and personal life collide. Our free giveaway this week is from historical mystery author Michelle Cox, a Cinderella story and a 1920s Chicago take on Downton Abbey. Check it out on the Joys of Binge Reading website for links to download. That's thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you can also find links to the show. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content, like hearing Raina's answers to the getting to know you five quick fire questions by becoming a Binge Reading on Patreon supporter for the cost of less than a cup of coffee a month. Details at patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. But now here's Raina. Hello there, Raina, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Look, you're one of those criminal defenders who's turned into a crime writer. You're a former criminal attorney with a public defender's office. What made you decide to get into fiction and how did it come about? So, you know, I always felt like there were stories lurking behind the cases that I had, right? I I knew as an appellate attorney, you're really stuck with a closed record. So I knew what had happened right before the crime and at the time of the crime and maybe a little bit afterwards, but I never got to see the backstory. I never really understood, you know, who who these people were, because I I didn't have a chance to meet with them. We didn't really meet our clients. We would exchange letters, you know, but very much pertaining to the case. And so all those questions that you have that might explain why a person does what they do, you know, what, what their family was like, what their education was like, what their love life was like, any, all of those things were kind of off limits. And so when I did end up leaving the job and I was there for uh, almost 18 years, so I felt like I had really, you know, put in my dues, but I had had enough and I, I didn't feel like, I kind of felt like I was hitting up against the wall on the storytelling. I, I just couldn't bring myself honestly anymore to, to trying to tell the story of these people when I, I, I knew so little. And that was kind of the impetus when I left of trying to figure out, you know, what else could I do with my time that might be related, but would allow me to explore things about the defendants, about the judges, about the prosecutors, about the defense attorneys, you know, things that I I couldn't do in real life, but I would be able to do in fiction. So that's kind of the, the genesis of, of how it started to happen. And, you know, and really the actual way that it happened was that I quit my job. I had no idea what I was going to do next. And a friend told me she was taking a writing class and 
invited me to come along and I went with her and it all kind of sprung from there. Look, it's interesting because I must admit I had not realized that distinction about a palate attorney because it works differently in New Zealand and probably in many other jurisdictions. I don't think that the Commonwealth countries like Britain and Australia have that system either and, and a lot of our listeners come from there. So could you just take it back a step and explain how can you defend someone when you never get a chance to talk to them? I mean, here in New Zealand, we have legal aid, which is pro- I thought that your job would have been similar to legal aid here, but but they certainly get to talk to their clients. Of course, it, it is very similar to legal aid and that in that it is a state-sponsored organization and that the clients are indigent, they don't pay for our services. The difference that I'm really drawing is that trial attorney who's going to take the defendant to trial, of course, meets with the defendant, right? The defendant has to tell them what happened, has to develop defenses, has to explain who the witnesses are and who, you know, obviously they play a a very key role in their own defense. And of course, a defendant, at least in this country, and I'm sure there too, has a right to be at every stage of their trial because they must help the attorney develop the case. But once you hit the appellate stage, you've you've lost a trial, right? So you're now incarcerated. I can't. You've lost. And now what you're reviewing the case for are legal errors. They're, they are errors having to do with whether the case was proven or whether something else went wrong at the trial level. And those errors have to be present in the record from the trial below. So yes. it's not that our clients didn't want to meet with us, but the, the problem was anything that they told us we couldn't use unless it was actually in the trial record below. Yeah, yeah. And does that mean you you also had the power to change the sentence if, if you found uh, something was wrong? We certainly had the power to argue that the sentence should be changed. Okay. It would be changed by the yeah. by the judiciary. Yes, yes. So that's clear. That that makes it a lot more clear. So you've got a range of work. I saw on your website, you've done short stories, you've done young adult fiction as well. You've obviously, you know, experimented a little bit, but we're talking about your adult fiction today, and in particular, your latest novel, Both Are True, which is focused on a female judge who is doing the sort of job we've just described and is tempted to subvert the course of justice a little bit, twist the rules a little bit because she's in love with this fellow. It's an emotional romance in a way rather than a crime novel as such, isn't it? It is. It's not really a crime novel and nor is it really, I guess here they call it really like a legal thriller. It's not really a legal thriller either. (laughs) It's more in the vein of women's fiction. It's more about the emotional journey that the judge has taken. There, there is a lot of law in it because that's what I know and what I find interesting to write about. But it is it, it that's more of a backdrop than you know the subject of the book. Yes. And Jackie, the key character, she's put all her strength and focus into her career. She's made the bench as a young judge and she's on probation for a year. So she's very much aware she has to kind of impress her bosses. But also she's finding she's nearly, she's 39 or 40. She's alone in the world. And she wonders a little bit if it's all been worth it or it might be a little bit of that case of be careful what you dream for in case it comes true because she's not at all totally satisfied with her life, is she? No, and she. I think part of that 
you know, is, is why the romance becomes compelling because she's fallen for this guy that she believes can kind of compliment her in a way that, you know, that she's been unable to find herself. She's, she's ambitious. She's smart. She's political. You know, she, she's doing a lot, but she's missing out on a lot of the smaller kind of joys of life. She's not, she's, she's kind of uptight and she's kind of, uh, you know, very wound up and, she finds this guy who, at least on the surface, is, you know, he's more spontaneous. He's kind of, in a way, more loving. He's kind of more, you know, he, he's just a, a more real kind of character than she's been able to develop. And and when he leaves, and, you know, I'm not giving away too much because he leaves in the first chapter, but, you know, then she's really left with, you know, a quandary. What, you know, what is it that I want? Is Is that was he really the one for me? And how do I, and, and if I think so, how do I get him back? And that, that does kind of color a lot of her decisions going forward. Yes, you, you very much do clarify that conflict between her career and her emotional life. And I wondered if you were also raising this question, the old hoary question really of whether, quotes, women can have it all, that, you know, in a way, she probably feels she it, was she set up a life so that she's willing to sacrifice one part of her life for her career. Now maybe she's made that decision, but that old hoary question of can women have it all? What's your view on that one? Well, I think I think she kind of I hope grows over the novel and kind of comes to some different understandings about what having it all means. And yes. she actually, you know, at the end of the book, I now I won't give out more away, but she does. Kind of speak to this question, and and one of the things she says, which I, to me, is very true, and is very much how I look at it, is that you know having it all doesn't mean having it all exactly at the same time, <laughs> and yeah. you know you have you have a lifetime of experiences, hopefully, and you have different phases of your life where you know perhaps there's one phase where having it all means you know that you you want to have children and you want to devote yourself to that, and maybe having it all later on means you know, your children have grown and you can devote yourself to something else. And, you know, there's all different, hopefully different parts and different times of your life where when you put it all together at the end of your life, you've had it all in, in some, in some manner. I don't think anybody ever has it all, but if, you know, you've, you've had different parts that work together and that hopefully have satisfied different needs at different points. Yes. I think this seems to be a theme that's fascinating to you because your first adult novel, general novel, Unreasonable Doubts, covers rather similar territory. A woman is a public defender. Her faith in the system's been chipped away by having years of really only having hardened criminals in front of her. And then she finds one case that, that reignites her passion for justice. Tell us about that book and how it fits in with what you did with, with, the, with the other one, the second one. So the first book I wrote really very soon after I had quit my job. And, you know, people that know me personally can see that it, there were very striking similarities between the office that I worked in, a number of the characters are similar to people that I knew or inspired by people that I know or knew. And, and it was really honestly a very cathartic uh, experience writing the book. It allowed me to explore certain relationships and certain 
you know, things that had happened to me over the course of my career in this office. Also in, in Unreasonable Doubts, the main story, the story of the character you mentioned, somebody that might have been innocent, was a case that I had handled on appeal. And the, the legal error, you know, obviously I fictionalized it. And although there's a romance surrounding it in the book, there was no romance <laughs> in real life. But, but there were, you know, I, I used the legal error there also as kind of the foundation of the book. Um, and I think the legal error is interesting to people because it's a sexual assault case. And that's, you know, the whole question of the Me Too movement and what happens and what happens to the main character, Liana, whether she herself is subjected to something in the book became very timely in a way that I couldn't really have predicted because I wrote it before the whole Me Too movement took off. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to write. In some ways, there were, you know, as I say, there, there's a, a character who is the mother in the book. And, you know, my mother had passed away and a lot of her characteristics I drew from my mother. But I was also able to kind of change the ending, which was nice. And then in Unreasonable Doubts, the mother kind of gets a second shot at you know, life and love after her husband dies and she moves into New York City and enjoys her latter years. And, you know, my, my mother unfortunately didn't have that. So, you know, there were aspects of it that were really emotionally moving and draining to write. And I guess one thing, you know, just that has been interesting to see is that both are true is, is much more just from my imagination. It doesn't really have... I had I worked in family court, so it has reality to it, but it's not personal. And it's been very different talking about that book with you know audiences and readers, you know, because it's not me. And it's been actually kind of liberating <laughs> to kind of be able to speak about something and not have it be quite so emotionally draining. And how was it then writing the difference between writing the two books? Was that a different sort of experience? It was. It was very different. I mean, as I say, the first book was very much fueled by the emotions of having left the job, about not knowing what I was going to be doing with myself. You know, kind of a, uh, some of the losses were kind of very close at hand <laughs> when I was writing the book. And I kind of wrote it in a little bit of a, you know, a whoosh of, you know, kind of creativity, but also just, you know, I, I have to get this out of my system. It has to be out on the page. And then once it's there, I'll be able to deal with whatever it represents. <laughs> and both are true was different. It was, you know, it was a little more deliberate, I guess. It was more, maybe a little more crafted. I think I, I feel like my writing has gotten stronger between the two books. So yeah, it was definitely a different experience. And without giving anything away, the actual person who was being defended, the criminal in, in unreasonable doubts, in real life, did your intervention make a difference to what happened to him? It did. In real life, he did win a new trial, unlike in the book, which is a little different. But he won a new trial, but he was in real life, in fact, guilty. And the evidence was pretty strong. And he was found guilty again at the new trial. So in the end, he didn't actually benefit that much. I mean, he got a second shot, but he ended up in the same place. Yes, I guess, I mean, it's sad to say, but if he was guilty, you don't have too much sympathy for that. No. <laughs> Although I've got a friend who's very involved in looking at cold cases and, you know, there's quite a big movement with the cold case uh, thing in law now, isn't there, where yes. most people are now being found to have historically been wronged by the justice system. Of course. I mean, a lot, a lot of it 
I don't know, I don't know percentages, but certainly a lot of it having to do with DNA evidence. And that yes. at least, you know, you feel fairly confident about. I mean, if it, if your DNA either says you are guilty or you're not guilty, you can feel good either way, you know. Yes. So yeah. now you're part of your publication. So you're a public defender, you've got a passion project with the first book. How did you find a publisher? Was that hard? It was hard. It was hard mostly, I would say, because I didn't I didn't understand the landscape at all, having never been involved in any of this. I knew that there were, you know, the thing that people will tell you is you must get an agent. I don't know. I don't know how it works where you are, but here that's definitely the traditional way is to get an agent and then your agent is the same the world over, really. At probably like to go into, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So so that was definitely the kind of conventional advice I was getting, but I was finding that very difficult. You know, it's just hard to get an agent and it's hard when you don't have a, a history of publication, which of course, as your first book, you're not going to have a history of publication, mm-hmm. but, but that's sort of what they're looking for. And, you know, and the, and the additionally to that now is all the social media platform question. You know, if you have tens of thousands of followers on Twitter or on Instagram, that's almost as good as a history of publication. But if you're a, you know, 50 year old mom who's been, you know, (laughs) slaving away in a law office, you're not, you're not going to have followers on Instagram. So I actually found, I did find that difficult. And in the end, I ended up going with what they call a hybrid publisher, which is somebody that they do all the things that a publisher does. It's, you know, it's, they vet the material and they distribute and they do the layout and they, whatever, they do everything, but you do make a a financial contribution to it in return for much higher royalties, but you do have to put some money in upfront. So I did that with the first book and I I was very pleased with it. I, I, they did a beautiful job on the book and they really did help me get it out there. And I was, I was happy with that. And then with the second, the, both the middle grade book I wrote and both are true. I ended up uh, trying to go with, I, I ended up approaching small publishers. I, Mostly just for my own, you know, I I didn't really want to invest the money in it again. I was hoping that somebody else would front that. (laughs) And then that worked out. And so I'm, you know, I'm with small publishers for both of those books. It's a different scene. It's not, they don't do as much for you. It's, you're not paying for a service in any way. It's just different. You're, you know, you're more on your own, but it's been, it's been good. And I wondered, maybe the first book, even maybe more than this, both are true, did you have interest because of that Me Too element for it? Because I've noticed that you have actually had lots of interviews on radio and podcasts and things for the books. You've been successful in getting publicity for yourself. I have. I mean, I also, you know, I did hire a publicist for both books, so they yeah. definitely yeah. helped with that. The first book was a little more, because one of the issues in the book, beside putting aside the Me Too, was a more of how are women dealing with either public sector law or private law? You know, her her boyfriend in the book is an associate at a corporate law firm and he's leading a very different kind of lifestyle than she is. And that's kind of a pervasive question among women in the law here, whether you, you know, go into public interest or whether you are in a more private commercial setting. So because that was one of the questions, I got to do a lot of book groups and different kinds of presentations in law firms because uh-huh. that, that was interesting to the associates there, <laughs> whether there is another side of how you could be practicing law and what you know what that means and does it is it more fulfilling 
possibly than some of the corporate law. So I got to have that angle, which definitely helped me get around a bit more. And so a woman a little bit more inclined to go into the public defender area, are they a little bit more inclined to be idealistic about things? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think a little bit, probably a little bit. I think it also, you know, there's tremendous financial pressures, as you can imagine. And, you know, that I think that's been interesting to see. And I think it's changed somewhat over the years, even changed over the years that I was working there. I mean, my first job, I was working in family court for the Legal Aid Society. And almost all the women, I I was a, what they call a law guardian. So I was representing the children. And almost all the lawyers in my bureau were women. There were hardly any men. Mm -hmm. And I think that was less about idealism and more about that the men felt like they couldn't afford to be paid as poorly as we were being paid. And, you know, many of the women both there and in the public defender's office, I, I think they followed one of two paths. Either they were married to somebody who was making significantly more money than they were and therefore allowing them to do that kind of work yes. <laughs> or or they were married. There were many, many people married within the community, other public defender's office, prosecutor's office, so that they'd kind of just decided, well, if we pool two lousy incomes, we'll, you know, we'll be together and we'll be doing what we want. And they were kind of more of a like mindset, even if they, you know, even if they were struggling financially. Yes. So, yes. you know, yeah. different calls that people have to make. We're taking a short break and we'll be back with Raina Marder Genton shortly. If you love historical mystery series, take a look at Jenny Wheeler's Of Gold and Blood series set in the colourful California of the 1860s and 70s. Dangerous Desires, book 10 in the Of Gold and Blood mystery series, is in digital bookstores now at a special launch price of $1.99. It can be read as a standalone mystery, but if you want to start at the beginning of the series, book one, Poisoned Legacy, is available on free download at Jenny's Books website. Check it out, jennywheeler.biz, for both Dangerous Desires and Poisoned Legacy. And now we're back with Raina Marder Genton. Look, what was the most challenging part of this whole process for you and even widening it out a bit from the writing process? So it's been a big change of focus for you, um, a second career very much in midlife. What's been the most challenging part for you? I think one of the most challenging parts is trying to figure out how you measure, or at least for me, how you measure success. You know, yes. how, how how am I doing at this? And, and yes. it's a question I ask myself, Often, I mean, I feel I feel proud of the books that I've had published. I feel like they're quality, and I feel like I interact with readers who are moved by them, and that's very meaningful to me. But I'm not, you know, I'm not hitting any bestsellers list. I'm not out there doing very exciting, you know, book tours or whatever. It's just, it's not, it has not been a commercial success in any way and that's and that's hard to know what to do with you know does that mean that I should be doing something else does that mean that I should go back to the law does that mean you know what 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 does that mean and that and that I think is hard to gauge I think for a woman who's used to earning salary we tend to gauge 
uh, validity almost by, I mean, I can speak to that. I mean, having I worked for years as a journalist and then I had my own business and I, I now write historical mysteries and I very much identify with what you're saying. I mean, I think it honestly is a, a hugely common experience for, for many, many writers. Probably three quarters of the writers that are published would be able to sympathise with what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And I, I, think, I think the other part that I struggle with is trying to keep in mind that whatever I'm doing, if I'm enjoying it and it's, you know, going relatively well, <laughs> then that's enough. But it's hard not to compare yourself. I mean, I agree with you. Probably three quarters of the people are in the same position. But then there's those people that you know, and we all know them, <laughs> who are doing <laughs> tremendously well with yeah. their books. <laughs> and you see, you know, and, and having entered into this community now for the last seven, eight years, whatever, I know a lot of writers. And a lot of them are really doing tremendously well and I, I'm happy for them but it's it's hard you know it's hard sometimes sometimes you can't yeah. help yeah. measure yourself and say what you know what's the difference between what they're doing what I'm doing and you know yeah. who knows yeah but. that's right I think if you if you were tempted to do indie publishing you'd be earning more royalties but but there I think the secret there is that you have to turn out a lot of books and if you're not right. writing the sort of books that you can do three a year of them or something, it's just as difficult. So there's a lot of things to be balanced when you're making those sorts of decisions, isn't there? I mean, the one question that I usually ask is what people consider the secret of their success, in quotes, and even if they're not on the bestseller list, I mean, even just, not just, getting books published as you have and developing an audience, that is a achievement that many people want to write a book and never, ever quite get to write one that with the end on it. So you right. have you have achieved something you can be proud of. Is there something that you would look at and say, that's what made me keep going to the point where I actually completed the manuscript and got it out there. What's that little thing inside you that drives you? Yeah, I, I think it's just, as you say, it's a certain sense of determination. I, I yes. you know, I, di I did not want to fail. And not that not finishing is failing, but it's, you know, you, if you set a goal, you know, you want to reach it. And I think I have enough kind of self-respect <laughs> that I wanted to get it done. Yeah. And, Turning to Raina as reader, because we're starting to come to the end of our time together, because this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, we tend to focus, well, we do focus on popular fiction that it's easy for people to pick up at the end of a hard day and get some joy and enlightenment and hopefully share enjoyment out of it. At that level, the sort of fiction you might read for your own relaxation, have you got any that you'd like to recommend to people who are listening? So, I, you know, to be honest, I read incredibly slowly, which I, so I'm not really a good binge reader because I don't binge on anything because by the time I finish something, it's, it's been an exercise for me. But right now I'm reading, I'm reading We Were the Mulvaney's by Joyce Carol Oates. It was very popular some years ago and I, I hadn't gotten to it. So I'm reading that now. I just, I just recently finished a book called Just Kids, which is a memoir by Patti Smith about New York City in the 1960s and 70s. Um, As in Patti Smith, the poet. Yes, poet slash rock star. Yeah, yeah. I read, you know, I read all sorts of things. I read kind of whatever interests me at the moment. A, a lot of people have invited me into different book groups that they're in. And I, I almost always say no, because I, I don't really like to follow somebody else's suggestion about what I should read. <laughs> That's great. Look, um, looking back down the tunnel of time, 
if you were doing all of this over again, is there anything you'd change? Would you give up law quicker or is there anything at all that you would change looking back down the tunnel? I don't know what I would change. I think, I mean, I think I might, I might have considered a little more formal education as the writing went. I mean, I, I've taken a lot of workshops and a lot of classes, but I haven't really I haven't really taken like craft classes. I'm not entirely sure that I know what I'm doing sometimes. <laughs> I'm a little more winging it. So I think, you know, in that in that vein, I might have done something different. I, I think also because they teach you to read very critically in those classes. And I think that would have done me some good. But no, I don't think I would have left the law any earlier. I, I feel like I was I was doing okay there for a good yes. long time. Yes. So. Yeah, that's good. So what have you got next on your typewriter or your keyboard? What's What does your future for the next 12 months look like? So I started working on something about a year ago. It's, a, it's more of a mother-daughter story. It doesn't have any law in it so far. <laughs> um, but it's been hard. I found COVID very hard. I, I know there are a lot of writers that have not found it hard, that it just kind of played into their regular way that they like to work. But for me, you know, I have, I have my husband working from home now. I've had the kids in and out from college. And it's just, and I just find the whole atmosphere of COVID so depressing <laughs> that it's been a little hard to focus in the way that I'd like to. So I'm hopeful that that's going to, you know, get over soon. And yeah, so that, that's what it is. It's a mother-daughter story and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yes. And do you have a deadline for that in terms of, yeah. Well, no. no. No, that's good. That's that's good. You've got a chance to be able to really experiment with that then. Now, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they and how can they find you online? I love interacting with readers. It's probably the best part, I have to say. They can find me on my website. It's just uh, reinamartergenton.com. There's an email there that they can use. And then also I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, all, all under Raina Martyr Genton. So not too hard to find. Okay, and we'll make sure we put all of those links in the show notes for this episode so that thanks. they're there as green content forevermore. Look, thanks so <laughs> much, Raina. I was actually going to say when you mentioned COVID just a few minutes ago and you earlier mentioned that you hadn't done any book tours, that's one very good reason why hardly any book tours are happening at the moment, isn't it? So It is, that's, that's true. Quite out of your hands, really. <laughs> Look, that's thanks true. so much for being with us today. That's been fabulous. Thanks for having me. Next week on Binge Reading, we have Kate Quinn, international best-selling author of The Rose Code and The Alice Network, and her latest World War II thriller, The Diamond Eye, based on a true life story of an unknown woman who changed history.